Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we're taking a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is 2016's Best Martian, my friend and yours, Palmer. How are you today? Well, I'm actually very sad. You're my favorite Martian. I know. I got the reference. Okay, great. But it's, I'm still sad. Why are you sad? Because I just found out that me and my true love will never meet again on the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. Is that the is that your Irish reference that you uh actually that's Scottish? Oh, Loch Lauren, oh my mistake. <laughs> Shoot. That but was it was a... the song that I was listening to on the way up. And I like that opening better than me just saying hi to random things and you not getting the reference. Sure. Okay, great. <laughs> that's fine. I mean that's what happened anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> anyway, how have you been? Uh good, good. You know, it's been it's been so long in between seasons. So long. Yep. They re-upped my contract, so you're stuck with me for another season. Yeah, I'm so happy about it. So happy. Because this is officially the start of season four, right? Yes. Well, yes. Technically. Uh, We've had our our Oscar wrap-up. No, we've had our our special for best of 2018. That's what I mean. Right. Our wrap-up of 2018. (laughs) Our wrap-up of 2018, which probably also included somebody named Oscar. Potentially. (laughs) Potentially. Um, Do we yeah, count so, that as part of the season? Well, it's the first new episode. This would be the official start of the season. That's right. It's like a holiday special. Right. And I'm very excited to announce to everybody that our new... Not listening. No, I don't our, know. <laughs> our new addition, because we've added something every year. Okay. Our new addition Wait, this you year... you not talking to me about this. ...is me and Tim have decided that we will sing one best... Song nominee every episode. Hashtag Palmer and Tim sing the Oscars. Okay. I <laughs> have not agreed to this, so you better have something prepared for today because I don't, and I can't go on without preparing. I'm too much of a diva. But the show must go on. No, that wasn't nominated this year, so you uh, can't That's say the that. only song I know. <laughs> now, maybe, uh, maybe we can... Maybe we can uh, set up a goal that we have to do it at the actual Oscar wrap-up this year, where we have to sing a song nominated this this coming year. Uh, Sure. Why? Why are we doing this to ourselves? (laughs) Why am I doing it to you? Because it's fun. Uh, Because I'm going to be the one that has to sing it. Well, you're going to sing, and I will. I will have like every a tambourine in the background, no matter (laughs) what the song is. No matter what the song is. I was I was just going to use several (laughs) auto tunes. Because I figure one wasn't going to work. Like, I need several. You will need several. Yeah. Yes. I could use one. <laughs> I could probably get by without it. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. Depends on the song. <laughs> it depends on the Come song. on, Spice Girls. Oh, yeah. See, then I would need I would need my backup singers then. <laughs> Won't just be me. Skype in Frank. Can we talk about the movies that we're going to talk <laughs> about could. today? Thank you so much. Oh, my God. So we're here to talk about the 2016 uh Best Picture nominees, are we not? Yes. Oh, my goodness. We so are. They are as follows. The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Palmer, what won 
Spotlight. Best Picture. Spotlight indeed won Best Picture. Even though I did those in alphabetical order, you still knew what they were. Well, it's like two years ago. I know. And because I I remember distinctly thinking like Revenant was a runaway and Spotlight won, it was actually kind of surprising. You think so? Because um, yeah. everyone was kind of thinking it was going to be the Revenant, right? Right. I mean, I, I will say this with the, the Academy Awards. Like the past... Two years, or the the two years, this and the year that um, La La Land won, Mm -hmm. um, were both surprises. Sure. Like the expected winner did not win. Um, And I can't remember this past year if the expected winner won or not. I don't think it... What won this past year? Exactly. It was a movie. Wow. How bad is that? Oh, In the Shape of Water. Oh, In the Shape of Water. water. Yeah. Uh, So it was... It wasn't a huge surprise because it had picked up all the the had, awards that it should it have. It had gained momentum right. through the awards but ceremony. I th- but I think it was still kind of shocking that that kind of movie would win. I agree. I think that you're right. Um, it wasn't a shock when it won in the award show, but maybe looking from an outside perspective, right. you would have been surprised the day before. Yeah, because I think we had also said, like, we're not, we're like, this. if this beats Shape of Water, it, it kind of makes sense, but... That has nothing to do with this year. No, so it doesn't. This year was Spotlight. This year was Spotlight, but we're not going to talk about Spotlight just yet, Palmer, because you know, as we know, we always talk about those film, the best winner at the end, the best picture winner at the end. So we're going to talk about the Big Short first up, because I'm a fan of alphabetizing things. Directed by Adam McKay, written by Charles Randolph and Adam McKay, based upon the book by Michael Lewis. This film stars Ryan Gosling, and it also stars Christian Bale, and it also stars Steve Carell, and then also, and along those lines, then it really starts to. It has a lot of people in it after that that I don't. It really know. does. Yeah, Marissa Tomei is in it. Karen Gillum is in it for Gillen. Gillen is in it how, for. How uh, dare you sorry. get the name of my wife wrong? Sorry, and then it's in there, and then um, Margot Robbie's in there for a brief second. Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez in there for a brief second. So I would never call those people to say the stars of the movie, but it really mostly revolves around Christian Bale, Ryan Gosling, and Steve Carell, right? Right. Uh, Brian oh, uh, Brad Pitt is in there. Yeah, but he's kind of it's a side side yeah. character. I agree. So anyway, so this is a this is a true story told in a satire ish fashion about the collapse of the housing market in two thousand eight. Right. Mm-hmm. This was a surprise. I think this was a surprise film to many people because it takes the film itself. It sets it up as like it has to explain how the market actually crashed to people well, I mean, who it, have it does like that's... no 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 i know but i mean like that's why people before the film came out people were like how do you even do that you right. know how do because you, you have to explain to people in the film who also need it explained to how this actually works yeah so it's done in kind of a satire Esque fashion. We have a lot of fourth wall breaking by ryan gosling who's kind of your narrator character plus being a real life person and so on and so on and so on i when i first saw this film when it came out Mm -hmm. i didn't love it okay i don't know why people everyone loved this movie everyone did and i saw it and i was like i don't it's fine and then but on re-watching it for this 
I loved it. Okay. It was a great movie. That that is odd because um this was the Christmas movie of that year mm-hmm. uh for my group and when I saw it, I really loved it. And I know I told you about it and you then you had watched it prior to the Academy Awards that year and you were like, "Oh, I have some issues with it." I'm like, "But it's so good." And upon rewatching it, I don't find it nearly as good. That's very interesting. Yeah. So why and, don't you find it? And as it good? seems like the the same reasons that I kind of liked it the first time around are mm-hmm. the reasons I dislike it now. And it's very, it's very hectically paced at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the explanations, like the cutaways of Margot Robbie and Selena Gomez, um, Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain, um, explaining different things like junk bonds and the housing market take you out of the movie a bit well i think there's they're obviously supposed to right right because it's not just the story and it's and i i I agree that it's kind of necessary that those are in there otherwise i have no idea what they're talking about half the time i still kind of don't know what they're talking about through watching the movie and i think that is a problem with the movie but i don't think there was a way to really to really do it otherwise. I agree. You have to really I think you have to really be entrenched in it. And I not being uh, not having a background in finance or in law or any or anything remotely close to this mm-hmm. it's it's just above my pay grade. I just don't. Yeah. I I I get it in like its simplest form, like the Jenga game that Ryan Gosling right. plays with them, you know, A's and double A's and triple A's and double B and like all the, I, I, I get conceptually mm-hmm. how that works, I guess, and how some are better than others and so on and so forth. But I guess like maybe the, what you would say, what makes up those things to make them good or bad yeah. is still, still beyond me. And also now, since this actually did happen in real life, I'm not saying the movie is lying to us, but my mind, I can't fathom that, like, you have the ability to just go to a bank and be like, I want to bet that you're going to be stupid. Sure, but that's not what exact, that's not exactly what they did, right? You know, they, they bet against what everyone considered a sure thing. They weren't calling the bank stupid. The bank saw that as free money. Right, but I like I don't understand like I don't I just don't understand like how that's legal. Like again, I understand that it was because it happened, but this movie takes a very true concept and because of the way the movie is kind of paced and done, it seems like it blows it out to a proportion of being unrealistic. Hmm, okay. And that's just in the confines of the movie. Okay, I, I that might be. I think you're right. That might be in the way that it there's a frenetic pace to yeah. the movie, and because it it it's not a satire, but it is kind of built such. Everybody is slightly larger than life, mm-hmm. perhaps, except for Steve Carell's character allegedly, who, who also who actually did blow up at that meeting. Yeah, you know. So so there are there are those component there are those components to it. I I really like Steve Carell in this movie. I like Steve Carell I, in every movie. I believe he got nominated for it. Oh, actually, I didn't do the nominations. You You're did right. not. I, I'm sorry. So this movie won Best Adapted Screenplay. It was nominated for obviously for Best Picture. Nominated um, 
for film editing, directing, and a supporting role, but it wasn't, wasn't Steve Carell. It wasn't Steve Carell. It was, it was a Christian, Christian Bale, Bale hmm. who was who I mean, was excellent. I really like Christian Bale in this. The only issue I have with Steve Carell is it seems like he has two modes. He's got the comedy side to him, where it seems like his approach to most of his comedic characters is the same. And then he's got a he's got some good drama chops, but again, it seems like his approach to drama is the same. Mm, watching don't... watching this and then uh, fire uh, not fire Firefox Fox. is it Firefox? No, no, it's, it's um. I know which movie you're talking. The wrestling movie. The wrestling movie yep. where uh, he plays the uh, the coach. the the coach slash money man is very like his tone and his approach seem very similar to me. Hmm. I I don't remember that movie well enough to Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher. Yeah, good job. Um I don't remember that movie well enough to to lay that claim out. He I would argue that his his maybe his dramatic style is not dissimilar to say like Jim Carrey's dramatic style if that's what you're going for, right? Like they can do it right. and it is good when they do it, but you can see that underlying Yeah. Maybe um, I don't know energy, comedic mm-hmm. energy. Although I'm not totally positive. I mean, like if you watch Steve Carell on the way way back, he is just through and through. Yeah, a, a bad. I, I didn't get a chance to see that one. Oh, you've um, not seen it. It's and I would, great I film. would argue, like Jim Carrey in the number twenty three, like it's very dark, creepy, really. Creepy so I believe film. they have the ability. It's just sometimes they seem to just skim the surface. Mm, I, I mean, sometimes people are cast because they know they can, because. The director wants that particular right. thing too, so I, I'm I don't disagree with you, but I and he's and he was in McKay's movies. He's worked with McKay because McKay did the uh, Anchorman series. That's right. It is rather funny that that McKay he does seem to work within this realm of you know satirizing a you know particular facets of American industry, mm-hmm. right? Because Anchorman is a comedy about the news team and now we have a, a true story about about the fall of the housing market i think it did a great job at i think the film does a great job at balancing all of those elements i think the the one shoehorn is i'm still a little confused and yeah. I, I think i was more confused the first time i saw it which is probably why i didn't like it so much uh i felt like I I just didn't know what was happening most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh and I felt like I knew what was happening through the whole movie. I just maybe sat back and went, I know I'm not going to understand the specifics of this, so that that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um ultimately though, really great film. Glad it was nominated. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was worth it. So we have we have some fun facts. Tell me, tell me, tell me. The quotation that appears on screen, truth is like poetry and most people Blanking hate poetry, overheard at a Washington D.C. bar, mm-hmm. was actually written by director and co-writer Adam McKay after unsuccessfully searching for the perfect quotation to use during that segment. That's fantastic. During the end of the Las Vegas trip, the transition scene ends overlooking a highway with a giant billboard of Martin Short. It is literally a big short. <laughs> That's hilarious. I didn't I didn't notice the big billboard, never mind the joke. In the original script, the celebrity cameos were different. Instead of Robbie explaining MBS and shorting in a bubble bath, it was scripted as Scarlett Johansson standing under a waterfall. Instead of Selena Gomez explaining 
synthetic CDOs. It was Beyonce with the assistance of her husband, Jay-Z. Jay-Z was even scripted as saying losing the bet was a hard knock life in reference to his hit song. That's fantastic. Yep. I do know that Margot Robbie said that this was one of the best parts. She's like, She was like, this was easily one of the best movies I've ever worked on. She's like, I got to sit in a real bath, yeah, real drinking bath. real champagne. Real 20-year-old Don Perignon. Yep, and just... She said the... And I, it was one of the trivia that I thought about including, but I didn't, but since you brought it up, she did say the hardest part was she had to memorize her lines. Yes, yes. I would think that would, that would be yeah. difficult, especially when you're sipping on champagne all day. Right. But good film. Ultimately, I enjoyed it. Another movie that I enjoyed more the second time around, Bridge of Spies. Really? Yep. Directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Matt Chairman and both Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring a lot of other people, Tom Hanks, Mark Rylance, Alan Alda, Amy Ryan, Scott Shepard, and Austin Stewell. It was nominated for Best Picture, Original Screenplay, Music, Sound Mixing, and Production Design. It won Best Supporting Actor for Mark Rylance. Yes. As as we all know. I, pre- I don't know why. I remember when he won for some reason more than I remember when most people win Supporting Actors. Because he wasn't the favorite. Who was the favorite? Somebody else. Okay. I'm going to, while you're talking about why you, th- how you like this movie more, because I thought you actually liked it quite a fair bit the first time you saw it. I didn't. I thought it was rather dull. Really? Yeah. I... I think we've talked about this a lot, but I think it, Steven Spielberg has not probably mostly never made a bad film in his career. But I do think that there came a point where he got so good at making movies, the point that he's in now, that it's, you know, it's it's almost they don't feel daring anymore or they feel they feel safe because he's so you know, they're maybe not as creative or um experimental as the as maybe as he used to be so th- for that for that reason um i thought this film was kind of dull when i first saw it in retrospect i don't think it's it's very good it's a, it, i think it's a really solidly well made film it's mostly carried by tom hanks i find that apart from him and mark Rylance, the supporting cast is fine. Mm-hmm. None of them are spectacular, and i I find oh, I find I found I should say, uh, everything apart from the Mark Rylance stuff at the beginning kind of dull in the middle. I don't think i I don't think I originally got why Tom Hanks's character was going into Russia and what right. he was doing and all that stuff and and upon watching this movie again I was still like eh. the the Mark Rylance stuff was more interesting maybe because Mark Rylance is very interesting himself. So you like this movie, right? I do like this. So th- let me get so okay, so that's so I kind of still sit in the same place for the movie, but I appreciated I appreciated um the production design, I appreciated the Thomas Newman's music is very odd to watch a Steven Spielberg movie without John Williams' music. Yeah, because he was he had um he he had an illness uh, at the time of this movie. Gotcha. Um. So, so there was that. There was that. I I really liked the I really liked the through line of how Tom Hanks 
played his character in this movie. You know, we open with him negotiating. He's just so good at it. And you kind of watch that build and build and build. And then his you the movie starts with this man who's very hesitant to get involved at all. And by the end of the film, he's superseding the government and doing what he wants because he, you know, he, he doesn't want to step on anybody's toes. And then mm-hmm. by the end, he's stepping on all the toes. Right. And that from a, from a writing standpoint, I really appreciated. Yeah, he definitely has film. a, he definitely has a decent character arc. Um, I don't know. Ultimately, this movie just lacks for me. Mark Rylance is really good in it. Um, but that's about all I take away from it. To me, this is, this is like the epitome of this, of this feels like Steven Spielberg phoning in a movie. It's not bad, but I wouldn't, I, I probably would never recommend it. Why wouldn't you recommend it? I guess it's, it's, it's boring. It's, it's ultimately boring. And I, I know you can't lay that at the feet of Spielberg, but at the at the same time, like ultimately the director, and especially a director of his caliber, mm-hmm. um, has the ability of choosing the scripts that he wants and waiting for the script to be better. And I don't think he did that here. I I was thinking about it through this you know rewatch of this film. Why what was working and what wasn't working, and I think the film in some ways is kind of dull because I don't think you're wrong there's some parts that are great like when Tom Hanks gets to Russia and he's in the hotel room and he looks around it's awful and he's like yeah. and where are you saying and the Hilton. guy's like I'm saying at the Hilton and yeah. there's just silence <laughs> as they stare at one another it's great there's stuff like that like he orders the, all the breakfast yeah, and he's like this is some, for you there's some you know? decent moments there's some there's I, you know me I love a good bit you know right. like those those that's the best part of a film for but me but it doesn't it doesn't equal a good movie I don't the Mark Violent stuff is good because he makes you care about him as a character right. very quickly. Tom Hanks in Russia is less interesting because I don't know the pilot nor do I care about him. Mm-hmm. So when he gets released, I'm like, "Woo! Yeah." You know, I think I think that's ultimately what the problem with the film is. Right. I'm working against what is basically a blank wall or a blank slate. I don't know what I should be caring about. Therefore, I do not care. I care that Tom Hanks is safe, but I never feel that he is or isn't safe. Right. I will say at the end when they when they do the postscript for the movie and they say, like, the Tom Hanks character, because of what he did there, was tasked by uh, President Kennedy – a few years later mm-hmm. to to negotiate the release of prisoners um from the bay of pigs in in yep. uh, cuba. cuba and like they were trying to get a thousand plus and he ended up getting like two thousand plus and i saw that and i'm like why wasn't that the movie like that seem that seems a little more interesting because i don't know exactly what collateral we had to get that many more people so so these the telling the personal story of you know the trade off and the two guy and you know like real world spy stuff right is less interesting to you than freeing a thousand prisoners two thousand prisoners two thousand prisoners yes. whatever yeah and that is because i've seen the spy thing before done better and more interesting give me an example 
half of the James Bond movies. Okay, but that's not real <laughs> spy stuff, though. Tinker Tale, a soldier spy. Good movie. Also kind of boring. Most exciting part of that movie is when Benedict Cumberbatch steals a briefcase. That's a good bit. Right. Yeah. But it has I'm not Benedict dis- Cumberbatch. I'm not dissing that movie. I like that movie a lot. Um, but Plus, I've... Like, it's it's kind of general knowledge to a point. Like, these kinds of these kinds of uh, spy swaps happened. Sure. Also, The Americans, great TV show. Um, this, these kind of spy swaps happened. So, them coming to him and being like, we want to swap that their spy for our, essentially, a spy. He mm-hmm. was a spy. And I'm like, okay. Like, it, there's, no, there's no real tension. Like, it's not that I... It's not that I know the outcome and I'm like, oh, there's no way they're not going to exchange. Otherwise, why do they make the movie? It's just a matter of we have one guy. They have one guy. Yeah, he gets a second guy kind of thrown in, but there's no real development of that story. Do you know what your problem with this movie is? It's usually my problem with historical films. It's the I know what's going to happen. Therefore, I do not care. And the film doesn't make you care. You specifically, right? Doesn't make you care. And I think the biggest the biggest issue is, and like I always tell you, without creating drama to get you to guess, or like yes, you know the end of Apollo thirteen, but without the drama of them trying to them trying to tell you, you don't know what's going to happen. It's a bad movie. This movie does nothing to ever make me doubt that this exchange isn't going to take place. Right, because it's not... It, it it's never in it, doubt. It doesn't really lean into, like... It doesn't lean into the family side of, of Tom Hanks, right, and what this does to his family. Right. And it doesn't lean into the tension, necessarily, of, you know, will or will they trade or anything like that. Right. It kind of skates in the middle and by skating in the middle it doesn't necessarily succeed on either parts not that either part isn't well done it just doesn't have it's it doesn't have any tension exactly yep i have more tension with mark rylance in that moment but then it's like oh nope and that's it we're moving on right and that's essentially what happens like even the two or three times like the russians are like well that's it the deal's off like two minutes later like the next scene they're like all right so we're gonna do this yeah, yeah. I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong. Anyway, do you have fun facts? I do. But first off, the uh, supporting actor field that year was Mark Rylance, uh, Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight. Yep. Uh, Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies. Christian Bale for The Big Short. And the person that, to my dying day, I will say, has been, has been, you know, screwed over. Stallone for Creed. He should have won. It should have been his. This was the Creed year. Yeah, you're right. You know, I I really like Creed. I don't think it was the best picture, so I'm I'm fine with it not being nominated. But Stallone should have won. I know he's essentially playing the same character that he's played for 30, 40 years. Right. But he, like, Rocky in his older years is such a good character. All right, so fun facts. Yeah, I don't agree with you, but we're not here to talk about supporting actors, so continue. According to Tom Hanks in a press release for the movie, when the lawyer character of James B. Donovan makes arguments to the Supreme Court about uh, Commander Abel, the actual words used in the dialogue for this movie were the same as the arguments presented to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's cool. According to 
according to Steven Spielberg, some of the best moments in his films are accidents, either accidents of interpretation or something audience reads into on their own. He said other times they are determined choices for which I cross my fingers that people will discover as they watch the movie and that's the most satisfying thing. When you intend something and people understand what your reference and intention was and then getting it and they're like, wow, that getting it is the best reward. That's like being a teacher. Yeah. Um, And then my favorite is Spielberg had a good laugh when he read the line in the screenplay of the policeman taunting Donovan that he had been in the third wave of Normandy. Spielberg joked to Tom Hanks that he ought to answer, I was in the first, a reference to Saving Private Ryan. That would have been great. That's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. I like that. Well, good fun facts. Yeah. I'm going to move on. Okay. Brooklyn, directed by John Crowley, written by Nick Hornby, based on the novel by Colin Tolbin, starring Saoirse Ronan, Julie Walters, Emery Cohen, Domhnall Gleeson, and a Quite a few. I mean, there's really, it's really just Saoirse Ronan's film, and everybody else is a supplemental character. Jim Broadbent is in there very briefly. Every movie she's in is Saoirse Ronan's film. I'm trying to think of a movie where she plays a secondary character, but I think you might be right. She has won the most rewindies of any person in history. The rewindies, the, the awards that we give out. Yes. Yes. Okay. The very most good. important awards. The, the rewindies. Indeed. Trademark. Indeed. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress for Saoirse Ronan, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It didn't win a thing. Nope. It didn't win a thing. This is a lovely coming-of-age story about a uh, a girl from Ireland who emigrates to America in the 20s? Yeah? 30s? No, it's like the 40s, 50s. They no. have TV. Do they? Yeah. You sure about that? I'm positive. Well, TV's the forties, right? So it's the fo- it's about the forties, the thirties. TV might be the thirties. It's it's definitely like the forties or fifties because they like one of the characters is kind of based on Brandon. I don't think it's I don't think it's the fifties. That's too far because they because there's that scene where they're like everybody's wearing sunglasses. You'll be judged if you're not. And that was a very particular year in history to which the sun like the sunglasses were you know sunglasses became popular. So it has to be somewhere in that. I'm going. I'm going fifties just because of the way the sunglasses are. It has those like pointed edges that make them look like, um, like really done up eyes with, with the eyelashes. Nineteen fifties Brooklyn nailed it. Damn, I was so wrong. Yeah, you were. Anyway, (laughs) doesn't matter. Shut up. (laughs) Anyway, this movie is a nice coming of age story about a girl immigrating from. Uh, Ireland. Ireland to America, and you know she, her like she's kind of listless in Ireland. You know she doesn't really like her job. She's not great at it, whatever. So she gets set up at a house in America. She meets this nice Italian boy. You know they get married. So secrets. He so uses so. his hands a lot. He uses his hands. He loves the Dodgers. You know things like that. The Brooklyn Dodgers. Not a Yankees fan because they're from Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, so he keeps talking like this, and uh, but then they love each other, so they get married. and uh, Without was, telling anybody. We're not telling anybody, but then she's got to go home because, you know, stuff happens. And she's like, oh, man, I miss Ireland. I forgot how much I love it. But then she's like, nah, you know, Ireland. Yeah, that's the movie. 
Okay. It was really good. I really like this movie. Brooklyn is I know you do. It, Brooklyn's great. It's fun. It's not fun. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's it's really a maybe like a performance vehicle. The story is on the thinner side. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a love story. It's kind of a love story though. It's not it, the sole focus isn't really the love. It's it's truly right. it is a true coming of age story. Yeah. She starts this way. She leaves home. She meets her little mentor. It's like the hero's journey, you know. She, she meets her little mentor on the yeah. boat to learn what it's like to be in America. And she has these series of trials. And then she returns home a different person. It's just the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. And then I, she leaves home again. And then she leaves home again. This and then realize that America is home and blah blah blah. I think it's a really I think it's a really well done movie. I think it's also just a movie. Yeah, I I don't know exactly why this movie gets nominated. It's it's good. I like it. It's good. I've seen a but, lot, but there are a lot of good movies that come out that yeah, are not nominated. It just doesn't stand out. Like her acting is good, so I like get her nominated. Sure, but it's not uh, her best performance but either. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's not. I mean, I think she atonement. Atonement is a better. Perf- yeah. performance i mean i mean kid perform i mean she's certainly a child and perf- right you know, it's, it's too different it's not her performance in atonement is not layered this this is a layered performance you know yeah. she says a lot without saying a lot right but say like her ladybird performance is better than this one yes you know so i mean she yeah but the, just because it's not her best performance doesn't mean that she's not- she shouldn't be she shouldn't be nominated. Right. Bridge of Spies is not Tom Hanks' best performance, but he's still great. Right. You know, that... So, but I mean, other than that, like, the, the look of the movie's nice. It feels like the 50s. It... Or does it? Does it also <laughs> potentially feel like the 20s, 30s, and 40s? Um, you know, the way that it's kind of shot with the three different... the, the Almost the three different color styles. Mm-hmm. Um, They're called palettes. Yeah, I know. But... Other than that, it's just a, like, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. Nope. But it doesn't fall short either. So, like, you made a really, a really solid film. The end. That I would, that I would recommend, but. That's it. That's, yeah. but that's, that's basically it. It doesn't really make you think hard or anything. It's literally just a good movie. Right. And that's fine. But like I said, there's a lot of movies that are just good movies. There's a lot of movies that come out in a year. And in a year that you nominated seven Best Pictures, there's a chance there was a probably one that got overlooked. I I agree. I agree. And so I don't, that's pretty much all I have to say on yeah. it because it's good. It, it, it's good. But there's, I have, there's nothing but there's wrong nothing in it, to, but it's nothing. There's nothing further to delve into it yeah. beyond that. That Christmas Day scene is nice where that dude sings... Where he doesn't sing Danny Boy. That's my only... There, there are more songs that, no, besides Danny I'm Boy. I'm sorry. If if you're showing me a movie about Ireland and Irish people... Are you Irish? I am not. I am. There's more songs than Danny Boy. I'm not saying there isn't, but I expect to hear Danny Boy Why? if you're going to put a song in there. Because it's the one song everybody knows. That doesn't... So learn something. I tried. <laughs> I tried. I was just thinking about Danny Boy the right. whole time. Yeah. Or perhaps that song... Has something thematic to do? I don't know. Nobody understands Gaelic anymore, Tim. That's not true. People still speak it. But do they understand it is the question. I mean, does anyone really understand language, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> not when it's English. Yeah, that's true. You have fun facts for us? I do. The Irish beach scenes were filmed at Kirklow Strand. 
The location was also used for the filming of the D-Day sequence in Saving Private Ryan. Huh. Although they never share a scene together in this movie, this is the second collaboration between Domnell Gleeson and Julie Waters. Can you name the other? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, I know. I know. This is He's also in two of these Oscar Army. He had a good year. He did. I mean, so did Tom Hardy. Tom well, Hardy also had a good year. Tom Hardy was in two Oscar-nominated movies. Whether or not it's a good year is yet to be decided. Saoirse Ronan's real life. I feel, like you've, I feel like you've decided. Why saying that? I've decided, but we haven't gotten to either of those movies yet, so it could be either one. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's real life Irish parents, like Ronan's character in the film, also got married in a quiet town hall ceremony in Brooklyn. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. Wow. The relationship between Elish, because that's Ailish, Ailish, sorry, Ailish, and Jim remains purely platonic in the film. In the book, however, Ailish and Jim actually have an affair of sorts. This causes Ailish to question her marriage and to leave her husband's letters unopened because she isn't sure she wants to go back to him anymore. It's not until the news of her behavior eventually reaches New York through Miss Kelly's contacts that she finally decides to go immediately back. I think that in the like that stuff in the book would actually propel this movie a little bit further. That's funny because I completely disagree. I don't like that at all. I I know why you don't like it's it. It's not Irish of them in any way. <laughs> Here's the thing. I know why you don't like it. I just said. I literally just said. But that's I mean aside from that. Like but at the same time I feel like this movie needed something, needed some sort of resistance. I think it's that's too late in the story to introduce that kind of resistance. I would agree with you normally, but I feel like they did, and then they chickened out. Like, the the, the time she's in Ireland, she starts hanging out with Jim. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the road they're starting to go down, and then she just all of a sudden decides to go back. Sure. I think that I don't like it because the movie is really about her deciding whether her Irish identity or what Ireland means to her. That's what it's really about. Yeah. So if so, by doing that, by making that relationship physical, Mm -hmm. it it removes, quote, like what Ireland is because having that platonic relationship with the potential of moving forward because that's what the film delivers like it's obviously could move in that direction is that like if she stayed this is your life Mm -hmm. and it's it's good I mean apart from the jabbering that's the only thing about going back you know she does leave and go I forgot what this place is like you know what every place is like that I don't care what country you're in no just Ireland just Ireland and Brooklyn apparently and um I, I agree. And the fact that this was adapted by the novelist. Twas not. Was not? Twas not. No. Oh. Twas not. Nick Hornby wrote the screenplay. Why do I think it was adapted by the novelist? I don't know. Because I be said his name, Cole Tobin. Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah. So then, all right. I was going to say, if it was adapted by the novelist, then I'm ultimately okay with them omitting something from their work. But they're, they're, you know, they're thinking, well, it didn't work is the way I wanted it to. But that being said, I think that would have given this movie a little bit more resistance and would have kind of notched up the movie a little bit more. Yeah. All right. Well, to each his own. Yeah. So all in all, a good movie is what we're saying. Let's move on to another good movie, Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller, written by George Miller, Brendan McCarthy, and Nick Lathoris. 
starring Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, and Hugh Kies Byrne, who plays Immortan Joe, in case you were wondering who that was. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Cinematography, and Special Effects. It won Editing, Costumes, Makeup, Sound, Editing, and Mixing, and Production Design. Story of Mad Max Fury Road involves a man named Max, who doesn't say a lot. And he drives around, and he gets kidnapped. And then he discovers this woman named Furiosa. And the movie is actually really about her. It's not really about Mad Max at all. It's mostly Furiosa's movie. Mad Max is, pardon the pun, along for the ride. Get it? Because it's about cars. I know. I want to talk about this movie so long because I hate it Go so ahead. much. So, basically, Furiosa steals um, steals women who are being used to make babies for a a Morton Joe, um, basically. Um, They're kind of sex slaves. And she steals them in hopes of giving, starting a new life away from where everything is. And it is mostly, the film is mostly mostly an apocalyptic, like, car chase. It's like one long car chase. Mm -hmm. We get there, we turn around, we go back, we fight, we kiss, we dance, we spooze, we go home happy. What do you say, huh? That's... Mostly the movie. The reason this movie is such a big deal is because it is 95% practical effects. 85%. Why do you say 85%? Because that's the actual percentage. That's the actual percentage? Fantastic. (laughs) Um, 85% practical effects, which in a movie that is all about the practical effects, in a world of tons of CG, that's a very – it's an impressive film to make. They went through – hell to make this movie lots of blowouts between the cast and the directors and it was only after it all came together tom hardy even specifically like yelled at george miller and all this different stuff and then at the when they saw the movie in total at the premiere tom hardy went up to him afterward and said and apologized said i had no idea what we were making like, I didn't realize this was going to turn out the way that it I did. Delete that off my fun fact. Oh, yeah. I know a bit about this movie. That is a fun fact, though, isn't it? That, yeah, it was at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. That fan, that, thank you, the film festival. So I think this movie is a experience, It and I don't think it plays as well on the small screen as it does on the big screen. There is a power behind the film, like a real visceral energy that... Works on the big screen with big speakers and all that stuff. So watching on a TV doesn't have – the movie doesn't ring the same. It doesn't have the same effect. I like it. It's a very simple – it's a simple movie for its its plot. But I think on – like it's almost like a – to me it's like a – like a Ben-Hur or something like that where m- maybe the movie doesn't have the greatest plot or the greatest acting or for the most part or any of the stuff, but it's a spectacle and it is n- nothing but the spectacle. It is what Hollywood is kind of built for. You know, we get a lot of movies about coming of age and romance and what does it mean to be human and all these really big fluffy stories that are in the head, right? We have um, next season's Birdman, right? Which one? Next season's Birdman, yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, Inurito was uh, nominated two years in a row, right? Exactly. So, so you have a movie like Birdman that won. There was a huge backlash from regular audiences that was like, "We don't watch movies like this. We don't understand movies. We don't like watch this. good movies." So, this is I, Mad Max is in some ways, Mad Max is in some ways like almost catering to that crowd of here the explosion movie. 
here you go, have fun. But it, this explosion movie is not let's sit at the computers and make it, which is also hard work to make it look right. But to be in the desert filming, driving your actors and your cameras at 80 miles an hour across the desert for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, is tough. It's challenging, almost in the way that The Revenant is also was also a challenging film to make. And so I think that's why I like this movie because of the I like how movies are made as much as I like the movie itself. Mm -hmm. And this movie is like the work they put into making this movie makes this movie. If it's if this was made in the computer with a bunch of green screens, don't care. It's there's not enough there. Mm -hmm. But I care because of the way it was made. Your turn. Okay. Um, This movie if you've if you've seen our Twitter by now, you'll have seen that this movie is probably my most hated movie Ever. out of any movie that we've seen. Oh, <laughs> beating out Rachel Rachel. Really? Yes. This movie's worse for you than Rachel yes. Rachel because all that stuff you said about the making of the movie. Sure. Just because they went through hell to make the movie doesn't necessarily mean the movie's good. Oh. I agree with you, but I mean, like, having a good experience making a movie doesn't make it good either. Oh, no, it doesn't. Looking at you, Suicide Squad. (laughs) But it just seems like everything that I see, people talk about the making of this film and what they went through, rather than any good points about the movie itself. And that's because, in my mind, this movie has almost no good points. I will give you that the fact that they did a lot of practical effects is a technical achievement. Doesn't mean that it's the best of that technical achievement. Um, and while I agree, like I like stuff that's practical over, over CGI myself, this movie just, I mean, the story is bad. The story is extremely thin. Does a thin story mean that it's bad, or is it just thin? Sometimes sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, and sometimes when a story's thin, it's bad. Okay. And this, this story is a little too thin. Um, you completely waste Tom Hardy. Do you think he's wasted? Or... I, I do think he's wasted. And it's not so much that I think he's wasted in the, in the way of in the way of, like, he should have been given more lines. This movie, you're right, is about... It's about Furiosa. It's about It's about Furiosa. So I don't think you needed to have somebody of Tom Hardy's level in the movie to even accidentally take the spotlight off of her. Mm. Do you Um, think that he does take the spotlight off of her? Being in the movie, he does. I say I don't. I don't feel that way at all. I feel this is her movie because he's the one who gets top billing. Sure, but Michael she's Doug- won an Academy Award and he gets top billing. Sure, because that's a, a poor but marketing decision, probably you right? Because female action movies pre Wonder Woman. Let's not forget this is pre Wonder Woman. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there was a there wasn't a financial reason to do it, but that. That, in my mind, is instead of casting him in the movie, instead of having that character in the movie, if he's not in there, you don't have anybody to to push over her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and this movie is just there are so many cuts in this movie that it gives Boz Lerman a seizure. <laughs> so you don't so you're not a fan of the editing of this film. I'm not a fan of the editing. I'm not a fan of the action sequences. I'm not so a, the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of the color. The color hurt my eyes at times. And I understand it was a conscious choice by him because he didn't want to be the typical bleak post-apocalyptic palette. It's he wanted color. It's he very wanted bright. very bright, very vibrant colors, but it got to the point where it felt like someone went into the TV and screwed with the brightness control and didn't sure. tell you. Sure. Just like, let's just turn that saturation all the way yeah. up and then call it a day. Yeah, I think it's funny because all of that, to me, is what makes this film stand out. Because I am, honestly, so tired of post-apocalyptic stories. Like, I mean, I just I'm, don't care anymore. Right. I'm not saying that there's they need to do something to reinvigorate that genre. But I feel like he could have toned down a lot of things and still have gone, and still have done that. Sure, it's called Mad Max and Mad Mex. Mad no, Max Thunder. Mad <laughs> I think those both kind of, I think those both kind of fall into the older post-apocalyptic stuff. Like those are that's those, what I, the that's colors what, are a little bit. Mu- that's what I mean. That's what I was talking. Like yeah, like those those muted Mad Max movies exist already. You could watch. You could have watched the Chrome version. No, because I don't think that would have made it any better. In fact, I'm I'm relatively positive that would make it worse. We can test that later because I don't understand the whole. I don't understand the whole thing of it's more artsy and black and white. I'm not exactly sure where that came from because that was the push that year, right? Because Mad Max came out in black and white, and then Logan was released in black and white. Logan was like last year, man. So it was a year for two year push, right? It was no, but it was because of Mad Max because they were like it's more artistic in black and white, and I'm like, no, it's doesn't black and white doesn't make things more artistic. I don't sometimes I think it's a choice. Right. There was a time in which making it in color was more artistic. (laughs) Right. Um, I understand that sometimes, given the the format, black and white makes sense and is a very necessary thing. Artist works well because it's in black and white. This, either way, I don't think works well. And I think if they would have toned down the action Mm -hmm. by like 10%, this movie just goes too much. Yeah, I see. To me, I think the freneticism is what dri- like is what drives the movie. Pun intended. Yeah, you know, I I think if they toned it down, the story's too thin, and I then I lose interest. Right? It is everything that's happening around the film. It's the craziness. Mad Max is a series of almost like folk tales, almost right. They're not supposed to be real stories. That's why. Not all the Mad Max movies actually line up with one another. It's almost like gathering around the campfire to tell stories about Mad Max, you know, who's mm. actually fairly sane and quiet, you know. Um, oh, so, this was a reboot. Uh, no, it's not. George no, Miller said Miller's that it, actually said it's he a reboot. said he's oh my god he's like George Lucasing himself. He's he has said multiple things about this because that f- fireside telling stories around right. That's that's. From him, he said that. Hmm. So tell me your fun facts anyway, then. Fun facts. I did not need to see a supercharged action movie by the director of Babe. Oh, yeah. He is the director of Babe. He's the director of both Babes and both Happy Feet. I knew the Happy Feet. And he was a extra in What a Woman Wants. Uh, What Women Want. What Women Want. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, what a Woman Wants um, is the song. 
No, that's what a girl wants. What a girl wants. Oh, yeah. oh actually, I believe that's actually also the name of the movie. Anyway, the one with uh, Amanda Bynes. Oh, so you weren't talking about the Mel Gibson movie? No, 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 no. Because that would have been a Mel Gibson I was, connection. I was with Mad talking Max. about the Amanda Bynes movie. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> he was a dancer. I don't understand it. Okay. Anyway, according to director George Miller, the film storyboard was made even before the screenplay. That makes sense. The reason behind the the be, reason behind this was Miller envisioned the film as a continuous chase with little dialogue and more focus on the visuals. That is the what story, he did. Yes. The storyboard was made with a collaboration of five artists and had about thirty five hundred panels. Wow, that's huge. This film contains about two thousand seven hundred cuts of its entire running length, which is an equivalent to 22.5 cuts per minute compared to the Road Warriors' 1,200 cuts of its 90-minute running time equivalent to 13.33 cuts per minute. So it essentially almost doubled the amount of cuts. Sure, but what's average cut for a, for an action film in 20 Less. In, what, what's the, do you know what the average cut I don't. Is? I'm, sure, I'm sure we can Google it at some point. Um, Tell me your fun I'm, facts. I'll look it up. That was, those are the only two fun facts. The rest, were, the rest were, meh. I mean, I had the fun fact of Tom Hardy apologizing at the Cannes Film Festival, but somebody stole that thunder. Sorry, that was me. I'm going to go with the average cut in an action movie now is like 15 to 18. Cut in an action movie movie thank you google average shot lengths na 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 an average film has about um 1250 individual shots so that's essentially what road warrior was okay which is an action movie right it's a pretty but now we're we're saying that road warrior is 90 minutes most action movies now are two hours, two hours plus. So actually the cuts would have gone down. The cuts per minute, rather. Okay, so so here's some shot, average shot lengths. David Fincher films. Alien 3 has a cut every .36 seconds. That doesn't seem right. 3.6 seconds. That still doesn't. Social know. Network has what's, one three point what's every three, three point, seconds. What's three seconds times 60? 18? Let's see. Um, average shot length for six famous directors. Michael Bay, average shot length, three seconds. Christopher Nolan, 3.1. Steven Spielberg, 6.5. Alfred Hitchcock, 9.1. John Ford, 9.7. And Woody Allen, 17.5. 22 cuts over a 60-second period. That's crazy. What's that? That's like almost every 2.5 seconds. So it's still lower. So you t- so Mad Max is still lower. Is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, or still more rather. Still, yeah, yeah. Either way, there was just too many. Like okay. I like Boz Lerman, and this was too much for me. Okay, well, okay. I don't care about Boz Lerman right now. What I do care about is a man who does not like to cut away, potentially make really Ever. long films. <laughs> Ever the Martian, directed by Ridley. See, Scott. see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> Directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. Ridley Scott. Written by Drew Goddard. Based on the book by Andy Weir. I have a lot of fun facts about that book. Do you have fun facts about The Martian? Uh, Do you want to say them now? Let me let me see what my fun facts are. Yeah, because if your fun facts are just about the movie, I'll say my fun facts about the book right now. 
Fun facts, fun, fun facts. Fun. Everyone loves fun facts. I'll talk about the cast yeah, go ahead. while you're doing that. Starring Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, Jeff Daniels, Michael Pina, Sean Bean, Kate Marr, Sebastian Stan, Eskel, Eskel Henny, uh, uh, Chitawella Gia 4, Benedict Wong, Mackenzie Davis, and Donald Glover. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Adapted, Screenplay, Sound Mixing, Sound Editing, Special Effects, and Production Design. It won nothing. You're good on the book. I'm good on the book? Yeah. Andy Weir uh, started writing this book. It's the first book. This was the movie I was thinking of with Brooklyn. Oh. Where he started writing the book. Uh, We started writing the movie prior to finishing. I maybe I don't know could be room because room is uh, adapted by the author. Okay. Um Andy Weir started to write this for fun. Um he started to write it for fun on a blog and he was just writing his book and and people started to say, "Hey, this is really good. You should put it on Amazon. You could make some money." And he was like, "No, I, I like just people reading. I'm just writing it for fun. People, I don't mind people reading it for free. And he, it was like an overwhelming amount of people were like, "Hey, you put it on Amazon. You can't give stuff away for free, but you can make it as little as ninety nine cents." And he was like, "All right, I'll do that. That's that's fine. We get more people to read it." So he puts it on Amazon for ninety nine cents, and that's when a book publisher picks it up, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Hey, we really like this book. Let's publish it." And he said, "Okay," and it became one of the best selling books that year. And continues, I think, to be on the bestseller list and now is on America's Greatest Reads. It's on, like, one of the books you should read if you're a human. I've never read this book. It's great. It's great. Book is hilarious. You'll appreciate this. Um, well, I'll tell us what the story of, of The Martian is first, and then I'll tell you about that. So the, um, the story of The Martian is about an astronaut who's also a botanist named Mark Watney. And he is stationed on Mars as part of this little expedition. The fifth trip to Mars, I think it is. I can't remember. Maybe the third. So anyway, there's a big storm. And uh, he is he is trapped out in the storm. And the rest of his fellow astronauts uh, think he's dead because his vital signs go flat because he got hit in the storm. And so they have to take off so they don't all die and they leave him marooned on Mars thinking that he's dead but he's actually alive. So he has to figure out how to contact NASA and survive on Mars. It's all based on the book and then the film is all based on the real science. So everything that they talk about, um, the, the math that's done, it's all actually done out by Andy Weir who is a scientist uh, I believe he used to work for NASA, uh, actually. So um, it's all so. If this happened, this is actually how it could happen, um, which is pretty cool. I think that's why people ended up flocking to it because Mark Watney is an incredibly charming character that is able to break everything down for him. So the book is written in a series of like journal entries, mm-hmm. and the film turns that into video journal entries. Uh, and that's and that's basically it without giving too much away. So it's mostly Mark Watney by himself on Mars and then bits of NASA and then his fellow astronauts deciding what to do about Mark being stuck there. The part of the book that I think you will enjoy. So when NASA discovers that Mark Watney is still alive and they're mm-hmm. like, my God, what do you think being up there alone does to a man like what do you think he's thinking about right now the book is just a single entry and it goes 
How come Aquaman can talk to whales? They're mammals. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> it's fantastic. Nice. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, Whereas in the movie, it's him, him listening to disco at that point. And he's like, I hate disco. That's right. And it's turn the beat around. He's like, no, I refuse. I, I will not turn the beat not. around. So much of his dialogue from the film is directly from the book. It's, yeah. it's, it's really fantastic, including his hatred of disco yep. and Happy Days playing all the time because that's all that's up there is like 60s and 70s television shows, all this stuff. That Aquaman line was actually – the film released like a series of – like little shorts before the Martian went okay. into theaters. And it was like the interview process with all the astronauts going up. And they used that Aquaman oh, thing nice. in this. It's hilarious. If I can, it's probably on YouTube. Hilarious. Um, I think this movie is one of Ridley Scott's best because it's, it moves uh, in a way that maybe some of his mother movies don't move. <laughs> I, being a fan of a lot of Ridley Scott Ridley films, Scott, yeah. I like Ridley Scott. I like a lot of his movies, but I'm uh, I'm not afraid to say when that wasn't so good, Ridley. You right. know, that wasn't a great movie. <clears throat> this is one of his better ones, probably because it also wasn't written by him. Right? He didn't. Um, he he has his hand in a lot of the movies from very early pre-production in the okay. writing of the script yeah. all the way all the way through the end. He did not. The script was literally handed to him completed and they were like, "Yo, you want to make this movie?" and he was like, "All right." Yeah. So it it has a very different sense and feel than other things. And Matt Damon I know was very hesitant to make this film because he had just done Interstellar about a man who's also stranded on a planet. And well, that's not the you know that's part a small part of Interstellar. <laughs> that's that's like the C plot. <laughs> that's the C plot. However, he was like, man, do I really want to be another astronaut do, stranded do I again? Want to be that guy that they call whenever they need to strand somebody on a rocket Over, out of space? Right, exactly. And Ridley Scott basically called him and was like, just do it. And he was like, all right. <laughs> this is also how. Um, this is why now Matt Damon is cast in the Gilligan's Island movie remake. That's correct. He's he is um, he's going to be Gilligan. No, he's Thurston Howell the <laughs> third. He's Ginger. <laughs> anyway, I think this movie is actually deceptively difficult to film because the movie totally falls apart if you're not on Mark Watney's side because you're with him alone most of the movie he is literally carrying the movie on his shoulders because we don't spend too much time at nasa and we don't spend too much time in the other spaceship the majority of the movie is mark watney so if you don't like him and if you or if you don't like the actor's performance or or if they are really flat or uninteresting movie completely falls apart yeah and so casting matt damon who really could carry the movie is brilliant it's great. Yeah. They do a great job. Like all Ridley Scott movies, it's a little too long. See, I would say I agree with you that this is probably Ridley Scott's best movie because this Bite is the most tongue. this is the most un-Ridley Scott movie. For one, it actually matches the pace of the of the trailer. <laughs> does it? Yes, it does. Um Ridley Scott has made a career of making movies that I've disliked, but continuously getting me into the movie theater because the trailer makes the movie look so good. God, that's so true. Like, that's how he, we got everyone to see Alien Covenant. <laughs> it's true. And Prometheus. It's true, although I am a Prometheus defender. Yeah, I don't dislike Prometheus, but it again, it like it falls short. It's 
it's too long, it's a little too drawn out, and this doesn't, this to me doesn't suffer from any of that. Mm. I agree that this all hinges on whether or not you like Matt Damon's performance, just like Castaway with Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. Um, it's Robinson know, Crusoe in space. Yeah, I mean that's always the danger of these kinds of movies is whether or not you're going to be able to take an entire movie of just this person, and this movie does enough to to give them depth, give them stuff to do and say, and then also throw in some danger. Like he doesn't need to constantly be in danger to make the movie interesting. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I absolutely agree with that. You're just interested to see what his day's like. Right. It's almost a little Truman Show esque that way, where kind you're like of. just tuning in to see what Mark Watney's up yep. to on Mars. And I think that when you're not with him, I think that the supporting cast, even if their characters aren't really fleshed, they are like they're what they're supposed to be. Right. You know what I mean? They're working professionals who care about Mark, and we're trying to get him home. The end. We're not diving in anything past that. I think that they all have very endearing qualities, but also they're all different. They're all so different yeah. that they feel like real people. You're not watching a bunch of suits in a room trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I love that when they like, oh, this is the meeting of the Council of Elrond, and and Kristen Wiig is like, you guys are a bunch of losers. I swear to God, if I actually. Because I saw that piece of trivia. If I put it in there, I'm going to beat you. Yeah, it's a bunch of losers. But that's also in the book. Right. The, that bit's in the book. But what's more hilarious is that Sean Bean is sitting at that meeting. Is the one that comments on it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's great. No, I didn't. Good. Um, ah, some of the I have trivia, too. Some of the most unreal... Like the, to me, the only unrealistic part of this movie, and it's not like him growing potatoes and... On Mars. Realistic can be done. Like, yep. I'm not, like, all the stuff with Mars, I never even thought of, like, oh, that's a, that seems a little too fake, or mm-hmm. even though some of it doesn't necessarily seem real, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest my biggest stretch of my disbelief was um, when they find out he's alive, and... Um, when NASA finds out he's when, alive? When or... NASA finds out he's alive, and they're ta- um the, Jeff the, Daniels. Jeff Daniels is talking to the to the woman who finds out, and and the other guy, Mackenzie Davis, Donald Glover. Yep, that was Donald Glover. I thought Donald Glover was on the ship. Nope. No. All right. Was talking to both of them, and he's like, they're like, so what are we gonna do? And he's like, well, you know, they're like, we have to release this. We have to release these photos within two days. Like, that's when we legally have to release the photos. Okay. And he's like, all right, we're going to release the photos and we're going to tell the people he's alive. No, the government would never do that. I'm sorry. I don't care what the, I don't care what the legality is. It's not happening. <laughs> sure. I don't. The movie exists in a, we're all teaming together to get this. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's, I don't. I it don't exist in this fluff zone. Right. And I don't discount like they would. They like the real NASA would be like, we have to go save him. We need to do something. I'm not discounting that. What I am saying is, until they have a plan in place, they're not coming out and saying, by the way, that guy's up there alive, possibly. We don't actually know, but we're pretty sure he's alive right now. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll maybe give you that bit, but um, I, I'm on. But I, I don't know enough about how NASA works. Like you know, never mind, because it's it's tough to say all government. And throw that on NASA. 
Mm. You know, I guess so. But I think it's just the instance of this guy was already dead once. And then to say he's alive and then say, well, we don't exactly know if he's going to survive or that. That's like that's just a crummy thing to do to the family. That's true. Although I think maybe the family would see but that the family would know even if the American public doesn't, you know, they would. But Mark doesn't actually really have family. Right. So that's eliminates it eliminates that factor. Yeah. I guess. Okay, so fun facts. Sure. NASA was consulted in order to get the aspects of space and space travel specifically in relation to Mars with the most accuracy. NASA is federally funded, yet charges no one, including private for-profit organizers, any fee for use and access to its archives and uh, consultancy. Can you say... Yeah. So basically... They consulted with NASA to make sure everything was on the up and up, mm-hmm. and NASA does this without charging anybody because it's a government-run agency. That's so nice of them. So, also, like, they it, have to. So, it's nice well, that's them. what I'm saying is like you could go and view their archives and get their and con- get the have them consult yeah. on stuff, and it wouldn't cost you a dime. Hmm. In the beginning, it is mentioned that a compromised spacesuit would cause decompression, giving someone about a minute to live. This is scientifically correct. Contrary to popular belief, accurate acute decompression in space or on a planet with very low pressure like Mars does not cause the body to immediately explode or expand. Major effects include confusion, loss of consciousness, and some subdermal bleeding. But it is generally agreed that a healthy human body can survive one minute in vacuum without life-threatening consequences. Huh. Well, there you go. Mm. I do know at the end of the film when he like tears his suit and he's like, hey, I'm like Iron Man. And he like zooms toward them. That is not accurate because in the book he makes that suggestion and they all yell at him. They're like, <laughs> no, you'll die. Don't do that. Uh, one of Mars panoramic shots shows Olympus Mons, the largest discovered volcano in the solar system. It is almost three times larger than Mount Everest and covers an area about the size of Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I did a very good job of not mentioning this, but we're not going to talk about the Martian without bringing this up. There My was, favorite Martian. Nope. There was some controversy when this movie was accepted by the Golden Globes Eligibility oh Committee in the category of comedy or musical. And subsequently won Best Motion Picture Comedy or Musical and Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Many filmmakers, such as Judd Apatow, criticized the producer's decision of submitting The Martian as a comedy as a way of not having to face the strong competition in the Best Drama category. That being said, the controversy led to a rule change which states that dramas with comedic overtones should be entered as dramas and not as comedies. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Neither did I. And I know that you love defending it because because in literature this is a comedy. It is a comedy. No, that is correct. It's not. It is a drama with comedic overtones. It is. It is. Just because just because Dante's Inferno is called the Divine Comedia doesn't mean it, it's a Divine laugh riot. Comedia? <laughs> no, that is not what it's called. Um, it, it's not a laugh riot. Generally speaking, in comedies, we've talked about this before, a comedy means that classical terms means that nobody dies and that in a, a tragedy somebody does die. 
That's basically the only difference. That's the only difference. Those rules no longer apply. You know, people can die in comedies. It's, you know, Weekend at Bernie's is a great example of that. <laughs> you know, the whole movie's literally, literally about, about a, a guy dead guy. Dead, yeah. yeah. Beetlejuice, same idea. The beginning of the movie, the two main characters die. Spoilers, I guess. So they don't, that rule doesn't necessarily apply anymore. But I'm saying sometimes it's okay. Isn't, hmm? you laughed at my Inferno reference. The Divine Comedy. Right. Yeah. The Divine Comedia. No. Just Divine Comedy. Mm, I'm pretty sure it's the other way. It's not. I promise you. One of us is a literary teacher. Yes, that would be me. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I I run a store. You are correct. Exactly. That's what I do. That's what I do. I don't have any jokes about it, though. <laughs> That's okay. I have jokes about this movie, though. The Revenant, directed by Alessandro D. How do you say his last name? I think Inurito. Inurito. Um, also written by Alejandro de Inurito. Alejandro. Alejandro. Uh, also written by Mark L. Smith, based on the novel by Munkel Punke, a book that I have actually read. I mean, actually read, like I don't read books. But, you know, I've read, the, <laughs> I've read this one. I know. You were reading it before we saw it. Was I? I believe so. I don't remember that. You were like, I have to read this movie before I, I have to read this book before I see it. I'm like, I need, I need to know all the spoilers. <laughs> Does the bear live? Do they become friends? I need to know. Does he show up randomly with Piglet? Oh, yeah. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, and Domhnall Gleeson. Most of this movie is just Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. With some Tom Hardy sprinkled in there for fun. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Tom Hardy, Editing, Costume Design, Makeup, Sound Mixing, Sound Editing, Special Effects, and Production Design. It won Best Actor for Leonardo DiCaprio, Director, and Cinematography. This movie tells the story of Hugh Glass, who is in a company, uh, a fur company uh, out in the West, and they're making their way to Wyoming, I believe. And uh, a fort in Wyoming. I think it's Fort Laramie, actually. Pretty sure it's Fort Laramie. Right? Sure. Can't remember. So, anyway, they are on their way there, and Hugh Glass gets attacked by... uh, Hugh Glass gets attacked by a bear uh, that nearly kills him, and so the captain of the company, Domhnall Gleeson, is like, you, Tom Hardy, and um, Bridger, that other guy there that almost played Pennywise, you, you stay here. And... um, and you make sure that he either gets better or he dies, and then you can come and join us. And so, um, and so, because there's a lot of dangerous Native American tribes in the area, Bridger uh, and Tom Hardy uh, Fitzgerald get nervous, and so they, Tom Hardy, kind of convinces the other guy to bury him in a shallow grave and just say he's going to die of his wounds anyway. There's no way he's going to survive this. Let's just take off. And so, but Hugh Glass comes back, baby, to seek revenge because Fitzgerald most likely probably did, absolutely did murder his uh, half Native American son. And so, and so he travels across the wilderness to seek revenge on Fitzgerald as a revenant, meaning somebody who comes back from the dead as a ghostly apparition. But he's alive. Yeah, I know, but he's not okay. really. Yep. But but he is. Um, so anyway, that's basically the movie. This is based on a true story. 
Hugh Glass was a real person. Fitzgerald really did leave after being attacked by a bear. Fitzgerald really did leave him for dead, and he did go to seek him out to do him harm. The difference is that Hugh Glass did not have a son um, with with a native with a Native American, so his revenge seeking on Fitzgerald was just because he left him for dead and stole his stuff, right? Because you want your stuff back, and then um, they didn't duel it out within the mountains they actually just went to court like people <laughs> like people do i saw that cut of the movie it was far less interesting. it's not as interesting no, no. it's not it like really... i believe also in that version he sues the bear yeah he does the civil suit <laughs> yeah so uh, so that's basically the movie again the filming of this movie is very interesting because they opted for all real locations mm-hmm. mostly in canada actually um, opted for all real locations, real temperatures, fighting the elements, and they only used natural light to film the movie, right. which is crazy. Yeah. Think about trying to like pull out your phone like just in using the video from your phone. And you're like, oh, this room is too dark. I can't see anything. That's what they're doing, but with millions of dollars worth of <laughs> camera and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's insane to try to make that movie. And they did. It is a gorgeous film. Right. I absolutely understood why it won cinematography just because of the sheer amount of idiocy and and work that you would put into making this film. That being said, most of the film is purely cinematography. Yeah. The, the story of Hugh Glass and his son is kind of added because the real story is just... Man left for dead. Man decides he's not dead. Gets up. It's goes after other man. It's a it's a Werner Herzog movie. Only good. It's Dark Man, <laughs> without the bandages. Uh, Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. It's Dark Man without the bandages. I was I was actually surprised that they like. I was actually surprised when I heard when I heard about the filming process of the movie that they opted for all the real locations, the real temperatures that they somehow talked Leonardo DiCaprio into really being mauled by a bear. That is a CG bear, but nice try. <laughs> but I think I think that's really why he wins. It's not his necessarily his performance, which is arguably no better or worse than any performance that he gives in any other movie. It's what they go through yeah. to get that he performance. He wins because the Academy finally gave up. They're like, look, we've nominated you enough times. He you should. Sh- he, you should have won already. He should have won for what's eating Gilbert Grape. That's what he should have won for. He's really good in that movie. Okay. I mean, just on like act like best actor category alone, I think he's he's had better roles. But Man um, in the Iron Mask. You're right. Yes. Love that movie. Me too. He's um, not great in it, but I no, love that but movie. Everyone is not great in everyone it. And that's is, why it's so great. Everyone is at an eleven <laughs> all the time, except for Gabriel Byrne, who just, just who thinks he's in a different movie. Who thinks he's in a different movie and he's just rolling around at like a <laughs> as like a regular human while everybody is so up overacting, way over yeah, the top. Like, did it's, you not see the original... Did you not see the first Disney movie of Three Musketeers with Charlie Sheen in them? Like, um, why are you... Man of the Iron Mask is a Miramax movie. I know, but it is essentially the second... Yeah, Man of the Iron Mask is the 
technically it's the third part of the Three Musketeers story. Right, but I I just love the fact, like, after the Disney version, they were like, oh, see what they did. We got to do that, too. Yeah, add an 11, guys. Yeah. <laughs> add an 11 all the time. And John Malkovich <laughs> is like, yes, finally. I'm going to have to dial it down, gonna, but I can do it. <laughs> I'm usually at a 15, but I can go to an 11. It's okay. And Jeremy Irons is like, I'm just going to be Jeremy Irons. And Gerard <laughs> Depardieu is like, ooh, I'm French. It's, oh, I love that movie. It's great. Um, Revenant is is very gorgeous. I was I was worried because we saw this originally in the theater together. Yes, we did. I was originally worried that this movie was going to be boring. Oh, the first time or yeah, the this first time. time. Okay, um, because I knew the director. I saw Birdman. I didn't love Birdman, but I knew his his style of directing was very long cuts mm-hmm. and. That coupled with the type of movie it was, I was like, there's going to be very little dialogue and it's going to be very dangerous to the point where it could get boring. And the movie wasn't. The movie is paced rather well for a movie of this kind. And it's just, it's done expertly. Like, he should win the director. He should win Best Cinematography. Well, he didn't, but I know what you mean. He didn't win Best Director? No, he did, but right. he's not the cinematographer. That's no, what but saying. what I'm saying is he should have won Best Director. He sh- They should have won Best Cinematography. Best Acting, okay. Um, I, you know, so that was, I mean, it's very good. It's, it's a technical achievement, and I think it does so more than... Mad Max, and I, would, I know that's what you were going to say. I was literally going to say that. You're I know. Like, it's a technical achievement, but that's exactly what you're down on Mad Max for. I'm down on Mad Max because I don't think, you're, while while technically everything is done, I don't think it's done well. And in The Revenant, I think it's done very well. Agree to disagree. I know, but that's I'm just explaining to you the difference. But they are essentially the same movie. Uh no. One had a cut every half a second. This and one had a cut every half an hour. That's so true. <laughs> that is very true. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with you in the slightest. I, I don't like the sun subplot. I don't think it's needed. Uh, yeah. Okay, I can give you that. I, maybe that's because I read the maybe I read the book and it and it works on its own. It works on its own without the book. Doesn't the have the sun. No, he didn't have a son. Right. So, so the the, so book, the book the book The Revenant is like the nonfiction account of So it even has the it even has the courtroom stuff? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that would I I I'll go back from that. It's not really the nonfiction account, it's told in story form, mm-hmm. but it, it adheres more closely to the real story of Hugh Glass than the movie does. Yeah. I agree. Like someone just leaving you for dead and kind of burying you alive. That's, that's enough an, for me to be mad to, at you. Yeah, that's enough for me to seek revenge. Yeah. It, and so the sun just feels very, it feels very tacked on yeah. to me. I just, because then you kind of forget about it. And, I think you needed, I think the movie needed some B plot to get through. And that was kind of. I, and I guess the B plot is technically Tom Hardy, who does who has a great performance. Yes, I love his Tom he's, Hardy he's really voice. Good in this. His Tom Hardy voice. Yeah, this is great. Um, 
but I guess he's technically the B plot. Him with Domhnall Gleeson being like, "We're gonna make it," and he's like, "Well, you know, I don't, I don't see we're gonna get there." And then we, you know, we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go over there. He's like almost doing like a weird Jimmy Stewart, like yeah. Jimmy Stewart the Frontiersman. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I love it. Fun facts about the Revenant. Uh yes, I do have fun facts. Leonardo DiCaprio chose to devour a raw slab of bison's liver, even though he is a vegetarian. He also had to learn to shoot a musket, build a fire, speak two Native American languages, Pawnee and Araka, and study with a doctor who specializes in ancient healing techniques. Iroquois? Uh, A-R-I-K-A-R. Mm. A. So I don't think Iroquois. It is not Iroquois, no. DiCaprio calls it the hardest performance of his career. Wow. Maybe he should have won then. Yeah, I'm not saying he should. You know what I mean? It's all on the prep work, yeah. I guess. But is it the prep work more important than the delivery? I don't know. Yeah. Due to the production being behind schedule, classic with this director, the snow melted during the location shoot in Canada before filming was complete. With summer rapidly approaching, there was no choice but to relocate the entire production to southern Argentina where there were similar wintry conditions. Yeah, I did know that. So that final fight um, between Fitzgerald and Glass is in Argentina. Right. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if they filmed sequentially, but I know that's I know they were in Argentina for that. So They probably filmed sequentially. Mm. That seems like what this director would do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Inuritu was insistent that computer-generated imagery not be used to enhance the film, stating if we end up, if we ended up in green screen with coffee and everybody having a good time, everybody will be happy, but most likely the film would be a piece of excrement. Wow. Yeah. There you go. I don't disagree. I think this film really works because, because it's, it's made outside. Yeah, because it's very real. Yeah, even the bear, which is CG, feels out of place in some ways. Yeah. You know, like it just, it doesn't, you know it's not part of the rest of the 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 world mm-hmm. that that is literally just in front of you. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about another movie entitled Room, directed by Lenny Abramson, written by Emma Donahue of a screen and novel. She did both starring Brie Larson, Jacob Tremblay, who plays her son, Sean Bridges, Joan Allen, and William H. Macy, and Tom McCamus. Nominated for Best Picture, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, Winner, Best Actress, Brie Larson. Room is, is starts in media res, if you will, if we want to use some film terms around here. Starts in the middle of a story to which a, um, a woman has been kidnapped and locked in a singular room, which is a, a shed with a skylight, into which she becomes pregnant by her captor and has and has a son who is now five. So she's been in there for six years. At least at least six years. Family assumes she's dead, so on and so on and so forth. So 45 minutes of the film, just about, the film's about two hours. So about an hour of the film is room in which, you know, the mother and the son are in the room. They kind of plot their escape. He's never known the outside world, so on and so on. And the other hour of the film is both of she learning to reacclimate to the world and the child learning to acclimate to the world for the first time because he's never been outside of that room and how do you cope 
how do you cope with that world that's around you? And so how does that family cope and what's changed since then and family dynamics and all of this different stuff. People love this movie. <laughs> On first pass of this movie, I did not like this movie. Second pass of this movie, I mediocrely enjoyed this movie. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. I just don't. I cannot connect with it in almost any way. I think Brie Larson's performance is very good. I don't. I think she. I don't think she's incredibly likable. But I don't think she's supposed to be, right? right? She's kind of Troy in Fences that way, right? You don't like Troy. You mm-hmm. don't like Denzel Washington in or, or you know, whoever is playing Troy in the play. You're not supposed to like him. He's engaging, but you do you shouldn't be on his side, mm. you know, and I and you should be on the mother's side here. But you have to because we're starting in media res, we're starting in the middle of the film. She's already hard and stone. And so it's tough even for the audience, I think, in some ways to penetrate that part of her. And so you end up maybe falling for her kid a little bit more, who is just a warm, bubbly little thing until he freaks out and he's not. But, you know, his little, like, good night, chair, good night, closet, good night, bowl, good night, Cheerio 1, good night, Cheerio 2, good night, Cheerio 3, so on and so on. And then... Gotta give the kid up for adoption. Yeah, and then you have, you know, her family of Joan Allen and... Uh, her mother, William H. Macy, her father, who's only in it for maybe five minutes before he was like, nope, peace, gotta <laughs> leave, gotta leave, you betcha, I'm out of here. And then Tom McCannis, Joan Allen's hus- um, boyfriend, and them kind of dealing with everything. I liked this movie more the second time around. Maybe I I had more sympathy, I certainly had more sympathy for Brie Larson's character through the next go around. I'm not sure why I didn't, maybe because I watched it with you. Um, I didn't blame it on me. I, but but we did watch it together. We did. Yeah. <laughs> we did. And we both disliked it. Yeah. And I don't know what it is because I think it's a well-made movie. I think A24 okay. makes good movies. There's something really... I know. I, when I when I went to go rewatch it, I saw A24. I'm like, aw. You dragged A24 into this. Yeah. <laughs> See, so I, I don't think A24... A24 doesn't really make bad films. I like most of their films. It's a well-made film. It's well-structured. It's well-acted. It has a nice production design. It's very claustrophobic in the way that it's shot, which works because of room and, you know, being enclosed in for so long, but then still being stuck inside of yourself, even Mm -hmm. though you're in the outside world. Thematically, it all just plays oh so very well together. But I, I just personally can't connect with it which i think honestly is a good thing yeah I, I would hope not yeah i so which is fine maybe i'm also maybe i'm dead inside and i and i like need to feel for this character in a way that i i don't the movie tries the movie um very much hinges on whether or not you feel for this character the the biggest issue is like her character brie larson's character is very damaged very damaged mentally because of what she's been through. Mm-hmm. And she's she's developed multiple psychoses, which is normal, like for a person in her situation. That's right. And I'm not saying she doesn't do a good job of conveying this. I think she does a really good job of conveying it. And I 
believe the movie does a really good job of doing this as well. But I think it becomes, it gets to a point that having never experienced this, thankfully, and never going through any of this, that it does make it a little bit hard to connect with what she's going through Mm. because you don't understand. And I think, and I'll say, I don't like, I don't really like the movie, but I think the movie does very well at making you feel like you would in real life if you knew this person and the way she was acting and not knowing what to do, not knowing what they're going through. I think this movie does a very good job at conveying that sense of isolation she feels even when she's out. Mm-hmm. And and that's like that is the that is the brilliance of this movie even though I don't like it's weird. I don't like it. I don't want to watch it again. But I I see how I see how very well done it is. Maybe maybe we don't like it not like as we said not because it's a good observation that you just made but maybe it's we don't like it not because it's not, not that it's it, it is a well-made movie but because it's a tough watch, right? It is. From start to finish and ultimately it's really only the last scene that they're really moving on a little bit right and so it's because it takes two hours to get to that point you feel very emotionally drained drained dead beaten (laughs) whatever and if that's what the movie wants you to feel great did a great job but that's that to putting in the like category i don't like feeling that way right therefore i have a hard time saying i like this movie right though i recognize that it it did exactly what it was supposed to do and it did it well exactly um emotionally it is it is a very it is very deep and dense movie um i will say the the scenes the there was one scene that i actually liked um watching it this time around and that's the kid once he gets out of the truck mm-hmm. and it calls for help and calls all that. for help, tries to give the note from, from that point. Like, so from the point where he kind of gets out of the truck to the point where they find, they find the place that Brie Larson is at, which is only like a five, maybe 10 minute long mm-hmm. thing. But like the kid reaccount, like the kid just kind of rambling and coming across like find like, and the police officer finding a way to to take his ramblings and figure out where she is, mm-hmm. like how many times did this truck slow down? You only turned once, you know. Like that scene to me was brilliant. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I really like that scene. I also like the scene where, because um, it just felt very true to life, where um, the kid is up on the on the balcony and the boyfriend Tom McCannis is like. Now, what am I going to do if there was only somebody that could eat breakfast with me? And I guess I'll just have to go into the kitchen. You know, like that thing you do when, you know, like you don't think the kid's watching you, but they are. And you just kind of pretend. I thought that felt so true to life. Yeah. Um, And I I enjoyed that. That, All of that was very well done. Yeah. So ultimately... That didn't turn out. That conversation didn't turn out the way I thought it would. No, and I, it helps that I saw Mad Max. Like it, Mad Max lowered the bar so low that the room was like, "No, I can't be that bad." Yeah. Do you have fun facts about Room? I do. 
Fun Hun- facts about room. Which seems like an oxymoron. Yep. Uh, Brie Larson isolated herself in, a, in her home for a month without a phone or internet and followed a strict diet in order to get the sense of what Ma and Jack were going through. Larson has said that because she considers herself an introvert who prefers to stay at home, she thought that the month of isolation would be a vacation. But towards the last week, she became very depressed and would cry all day. Wow. To that, I say, a month alone seems like a vacation for me. Sure. Maybe you should try it and see what happens. I'm pretty sure I have tried it. <laughs> and I don't think going to work out counts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Going out is not isolation. Yeah. Many viewers were confused by the fact that Jack, a little boy, has very long hair. Some of these viewers have also developed a misunderstanding about Jack's gender and generated an elaborate but incorrect theory speculating that Joy knows that Jack is a girl, but somehow hides this fact from their captor so that he would not become interested in raping Jack the same way he regularly rapes Joy. Wow, that's awful. In fact... Jack is indeed a boy, and the actual reason that both he and Joy have long hair is simply because the captor doesn't groom them, them or let them have scissors for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, that being said, yes, that theory is very dark, but I kind of, I kind of would have been like, "Wow, that's that's very ingenious." Like, I don't know if it would have made the movie better. I I don't think I it, think it would have made the movie unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh, I, I kind of want to see that. Like, I like just that being in that situation and still being able to think of that as a plan would mm-hmm. would be to me very very ingenious. Yeah. Uh, Joy sings "Big Rock Candy Mountain" to Jack. The original lyrics refer to a hobo using the promise of a fantasy land to deceive a young boy, similar how Old Nick abducted Joy. Wow. Yep. There you go. Cool. All right. Nice fun facts. Yeah. Last movie, Spotlight, directed by Tom McCarthy, written by Tom McCarthy and Josh Singer, starring Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liev Schreiber, John Slattery, Brian D'Arcy James, Stanley Tucci, and Billy Crudup, nominated... And the voice of Richard Jenkins. And the voice of Richard Jenkins. Nominated for supporting actor for Mark Ruffalo, supporting actress for Rachel McAdams, director and editing. It won original writing Best Picture. Spotlight tells the story of the Spotlight team of the Boston Globe that investigated the Archdiocese of Boston uh, of the Catholic Church in 2001 for the um, for the national now national very national news um, priest scandal. It takes the it it really just zeroes in on the Spotlight team. It doesn't get any bigger than that it's from completely from their perspective mm-hmm. so it doesn't blow it out of proportion so in a lot of ways it feels like a very insulated and and small film that way um dealing and or grappling with a very large issue that is still rocking our world today yeah just the, yeah the, Pit, the pittsburgh the the pittsburgh um scandal which was even bigger than what is reported on in uh, by the spotlight team in the Boston Globe, it's it, really? it, oh, it's massive. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, no, no, no. Here, but I'll yeah. t- I'll tell you off air. Awful, awful. So this movie, uh, now listen, this is, I wouldn't call it a sleeper film. Um, I but yeah, because it's it it almost reminds me of a film like 
all the president's men or something like that. Not just because it's about the news mm-hmm. or or the post. So not because it's about the news and dealing with a big issue, but because it is truly about the issue. And that's – the movie is about the movie. It's not about – you know the family on the side it's not about the personal relationships mm-hmm. between the team it's all working professionals doing their job and delving into a larger mystery yeah. and in that way almost every of the every single one of these movies very simple movies across the board right there none of these films are overly complicated complex what are we you know doing here 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 they're all simple stories in their own way and the movie unravels itself at a very nice pace with a very well acted cast and it's just every it wins best picture i think because every piece of the movie fits itself mm-hmm. you know what i mean the cast doesn't outdo the music doesn't outdo the production design doesn't outdo the script it all just works cohesively together one bit isn't better than the rest it just all is good okay and maybe and be in the difference maybe between this which you could say that about brooklyn in the same way but i think that this movie is about something important where Brooklyn is a coming of age story, right? right. One that we've seen before mm-hmm. dozens, if not hundreds of thousands of times. Whereas this is an isolated incident, you know, about a particular place um, that speaks to a larger problem. And I think that's, that's why I think yeah. it hit people more than some of the, the other films. Yeah. I really like this movie and is for many reasons, but can you guess what the main reason I like this movie is? They Why? sing Silent Night. That is number two. Yes. I was so close. <laughs> I was so close. Um, Stanley Tucci with a Boston accent. Close. So Billy actually, Crudup with a Boston accent. I mean, so this movie takes place in Boston. So everyone has a Boston accent. But you know what they don't do? Sound they don't like have they, they, they don't, don't have bad Boston accents. I agree. The Boston accents in this movie are amazing, and you know what you notice? Not all of them have it, which means that somebody very early on, probably Tom McCarthy, was like, "If you can't do it, don't do it." Right. Well, some of them like um, Mark Ruffalo. It like it's particularly mentioned that he's from East Boston, right. But doesn't have an East Boston accent. Mark Ruffalo is from Boston, uh, but Rachel McAdams is not. She's from Ohio. That's correct. Um, I think the best accent of them all is uh, Michael Keaton. It's very subtle. It is. It is a Boston accent, and he doesn't feel the need to be to you know to do the typical "I park the car," you know, sure. the Stanley Tucci version of the Boston accent, if you will. Because but you know what? I didn't even think of that when Stanley Tucci was talking because I just like I just think that's Stanley Tucci. Sure. So he had a he had an accent, but at the same time didn't come off to that to that I, stereotypical point. I agree. It's not stereotypical, but I think it his is more noticeable mm-hmm. in the way that he chooses to be his character. Right. And I don't think it's an accent thing, I think it's a character um, thing. The the uh Mark Ruffalo character, I while I believe this movie is more a ensemble piece than saying any one of them should have been individually recognized, I I like Mark Ruffalo more in this movie than I normally like him. I think he he if anybody would you would say has the most personal story 
in the movie, it's probably Mark Ruffalo. Not necessarily because it affects, not because of his past or anything like that. It's just it hits him more than it maybe hits the other members of the team for different reasons. We, maybe we just spend more time. I think with that's Mark just Ruffalo. the lens that the movie chose to go with. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think taking him out of the equation, like because you're right, he doesn't really have a past. They all they're all kind of lapsed Catholics. They they admit this in the movie. That's right. But like Rachel McAdams has a grandmother who's very Catholic. Who she goes with sometimes, and she goes with sometimes. So like that was a that I think is a very a very real kind of inroad that they could have done if right. they made her the focus. Brian DRC James's character has the treatment center down the street from his house. Yep. Um, Michael Keaton's character was with- on staff prior like in the years prior where people were trying to get the the globe to look at them that's right and to do a story like this and he was he was in a position to do it and he didn't he over he was overseeing the department on metro but he just didn't do anything about it right he even said he says in the film he's like i had just started he's like i don't even remember this right i don't like it just not right it wasn't in there to do anything about it but on top of that he also went to bc high Boston College right, High School, is... which is directly across the street from the Boston yeah. Globe, which in real life is literally across the street from the Boston Globe. Yeah. It's re- I believe it they is... shot in Boston. That's it is. Oh, the whole thing yeah. shot in Boston. Yeah, those are the real. Like the interiors aren't, but no, but the those are the real exterior locations. Yeah. I um, don't know. Uh, I don't knew about interiors. No, they did not because there's a um, like they shot it in a warehouse and. It was it was done so accurately, like when they had the actual people on set without really putting names like at desk or whatever, they would instinctively go to where their desk were and start rearranging their desk That's to, to how it was. I um, love that. So I think there's definitely other inroads. And you're right. I think he gets nominated because he's the one we spend the most time with, mm-hmm. which I don't like. That's just the that's just the road the movie chose to go down. That's right. Um, and I think it's because he's the one who actually wrote the piece. Um, and because he wrote the piece in real life, maybe that's why they chose to maybe. to go down that road. But I also I've never really sat there and and tried to figure out like the real life stuff behind it. I know you can. I know there's a book. Um, but this is also over six hundred articles from the Boston Globe. Right, but like them actually going out and doing the stuff. Oh, sure. Like, did they decide he, like he was the best writer on uh, out of the group? So is that why he writes it, or did he get a lot of the stuff that the others couldn't? Like, there's there's questions that this movie doesn't necessarily answer. I don't know if it needs to answer them. It, do- it doesn't, but I think that would have gone a little bit l- more in showing why you're following Mark Ruffalo more than anybody else. Sure, um, but this movie is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's extremely well acted, well written. I saw it the first time, I think a little bit before the Academy Awards. So when it won, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with this. And now that I saw it again, it holds up. It does hold up. Sure. Um, I mean, that's two years. It's not exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not that long. And the yeah. fact that like, it's still, this to me is what all the president's men was built up as. Yeah, I don't uh this even the post, you know, yeah. like there I think out of out of all of like the newspaper movies, this to me is second behind the actual movie The Paper, which is never nominated for anything. But um, you just love it. I just it's such a great movie. But 
this to me, like when you take the post, when you take all the president's men in this, put them together, this movie easily beats out the other two. Interesting. Do you want to do our? Yes. Our, um, we'll do some fun facts, and then we'll do our our best, oh yes, fun our facts. best of list. Yes, yes because because this movie has to so go many... to IHOP. Okay. Well, some of us have to go back to work. So during an interview on National Public Radio, Fresh Air, director Tom McCarthy said that they built a large set to depict many of the Boston Globe offices where parts of the story take place. When the reporters depicted in the movie first visited the set, they gravitated towards the desk. As I said. Uh, during every break, Mark Ruffalo asked the real Michael Resendez to say his lines for him. Wow. Yep. Well, poor Mike Resendez. <laughs> the real Walter Robinson said, my persona has been hijacked. If Michael Keaton robbed a bank, the police, the police would quickly have me in handcuffs. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Uh, investigative reporter Ben Bradley Jr. is the son of Benjamin C. Bradley Sr., an executive editor of the Washington Post, the elder Bradley oversaw the paper's investigation of the Watergate scandal. I was going to say, why does that name sound so familiar? Yep. Wow, that's so Ben Bradley Junior. Junior, who was that? In was that John Slattery? I believe so. I want to look that up. Look that up because it wasn't it wasn't uh, Lev Schreiber, right? I don't think. So. I think it was that fourth person of spotlight that you're like, why is he there? He doesn't really do much. Are you talking about John? John Darcy, whatever his name is. Yeah. No, he does stuff. Yeah, he he does some things. He does stuff. He has that house right down the road from Right, him. but that's really like he doesn't do a lot in this movie. No, I think he does the least out of the other ones. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. Um Ben Bradley Jr., John Slattery. Yeah. So his dad was, was is Tom Hanks. Yeah. Is <laughs> plus also man from all the president's men. Yep. Yeah, that's um, hilarious. There was also a thing that I I thought I wrote down, but I didn't. If you notice, the reporters all always use blue pens. No, I did not notice the, that. The editors always use red pens. It's a news thing. And then one other group of people in the movie... Use black pens. Use black pens. Did not notice that. Yeah, and I really wish I could remember like who that third group was, but it was, but it was even like when, I, when you see uh, Michael Keaton... Mm-hmm. Talking to somebody, he's actually he's using a red pen, huh? So like, even though he's reporting, it like he is denotes also the his role. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very cool. All right, so let's roll down our list of our list of nominations for or winners for all of the following categories. Okay, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, cinematography, production design, music, writing. Do we usually do a director? No. So best picture it is. Yeah. Great. Okay. Best actor. Palmer. Best actor? Best actor. Oh crap. Starting with the big one. What are you are you making it up as we go along? No, um I would I would go with uh I would Le- go with Leonardo. I was torn between Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon. I'm ultimately gonna give it to Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. because he went through a lot of work. See, if you want to win a rewindy, Matt Damon, actually get stuck on, on Mars. Mars. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is ultimately the difference because yep. they both really have to carry the movies by themselves. Yeah, but but Leo had to work harder at carrying the movie right. by himself. Therefore, Leo wins. Yeah. That's my. That's the ground there. Best actress, Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. I'm giving it to Saoirse Ronan as well because yes. Saoirse Ronan. There, very good. <laughs> um, supporting actor. 
Supporting actor, I would I would stick with Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance, I also agree. Best part of that movie, yeah, Mark Rylance, easily. Also, just most memorable. Like he's the only one that I remembered even being nominated, and he, you know what I mean. Like right. it just sticks there. His performance is so good. Um, supporting actress, Rachel McAdams. I will also agree with Rachel McAdams. Wow, we're just so in sync today, and that is because like that's what I'm like. I'm going on the. We always go on the movies that got nominated. That's right. While I don't think she should have won the Oscar, there really isn't anybody else. There's, yeah, in, there's no in, one in else. this lineup. No, yeah. it's mostly male driven. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to knock down Brie Larson. I can't knock down Brie Larson. Right. I can't, and I can't knock down Brie Larson. I can't. Um. I can't knock down Charlie Theron. Right. Or and you like, wouldn't allow me to give Karen Gillan the award for being in like five I seconds. I really would not. Short. Nope, I would not. You are correct. Best cinematography. Uh, the, Revenant. the Revenant. Yeah. Indeed. I do not disagree. Production design. I would go with The the Martian. The Martian. Yeah. Well, it's close with The Martian. It's excellent. But I'm going to give it to Mad Max just because it creates a unique aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, something something different. Best music. See, yeah. same problem. There, it's all kind of blah. Yeah, the only out of all the out of the best picture categories, the only one to be nominated, not even win music, but just nominated was Bridge of Spies. Was Bridge of Spies? Yeah. I would go with The Martian just because, even though it's not, even though it's not the the typical music, I I like the disco music. So yeah, which really isn't best music. I know, it's like best but that's what I'm going with. Music, it's not the same. Um, I'm gonna give it to. I'm going to give it to Bridge of Spies just because yeah. I vaguely remember what it's like as opposed to the other one. It's not really meant for that. Right. So best writing? Best writing would be Spotlight. Best writing for Spotlight. I also agree. Wow, this never happens. No. This is so and I, weird. And I feel like we're... We weirdly agree. And obviously best picture Spotlight. is Mad Max. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Spotlight. Yeah. yeah. No, Spotlight, hands down. I really liked Revenant. And I remember. I remember hoping that it won best picture... Going back and watching them again, it's Spotlight, hands down. Like, it's Spotlight by a mile. It's just an unbelievably yeah. well-made movie. It's just incredible. So, that ends all of those. Good job, team. Coming up in 2006 for Best Picture nominees, we have Brokeback Mountain, <gasps> Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, Munich, and Crash. Oh, this is such a good year. It's a year. It certainly is. All right. Well... <laughs> That's very good. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play at Academy Rewind. You can write and review us on iTunes. You can also find us at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Check out all of the ThoughtBubble Audio shows, and you can head over to Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio to give us some money. Thank you so much. Even a dollar goes a really long way to making sure that Palmer and I can continue to rent these movies so we can actually watch them <laughs> and not break the bank so we can do these episodes because movies are expensive. Please, God, help us. The end. Whose bright idea was this? I think it was yours. It was. Yeah, it was all mine. you. <laughs> so anyway, that's it from us because that's good because I think they're playing us off. No, I have someone of our people to thank. Well, too bad. Bye. Bye.